Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Andrew Boyd. Can we just pray for a second? Father, thank you, Lord, that you're, you just delight to fill earthen vessels. You don't worry about the fact that they are earthen and earthy. You just love to come and fill who we are. And Holy Spirit, we invite you today to do what you are so good at doing, revealing Jesus to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak to each of our hearts, Lord, and show us something of our wonderful Saviour. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here. Amen. Amen. Our theme at the moment is living like Jesus. There's a bit of a bright hum there, so I'm just going to move this over a bit. So I'm picking up on that, and Pastor Clive was talking about that last week. And my topic this morning is living in love. So that's where I'm going, living like Jesus, living in love. And my prayer for you and our prayer this morning at the prayer meeting was that God will give you a fresh revelation this morning of his love for you. Because it's that love for you that wins your heart. Why are we here? We're here because despite all the objections we put up, despite all the opposition we put up to God, despite the way we lived, he continued to love us and pursue us with a tenderness that when we eventually turned to face him, just melted our hearts with his love. So our prayer for you is that God will speak to your hearts and show you his love today, not just for you, because God's purpose for your life is that he loves others through you. He's put you here for a purpose. Love is always for others, and the object of God's love is always others. So the love that he pours into your heart and my heart is not just to be kept, jealously guarded, miserly kept, stored, and counted quietly in the dark. It's to be given away to others. But we can only give what we've received. You know, when you're on a plane, I I was in uh, Swaziland a week ago. It's now called Eswatini. It's a nice name. Apparently, because people were confusing it with Switzerland. I don't know how they did that. (laughs) But the king changed the name because he's a king and can to Eswatini, so they wouldn't confuse it with Switzerland anymore. It's a beautiful place. It's delightful. But when you go on the plane and the stewardesses tell you, you know, there's, you, you, you've seen it a million times, there's the oxygen mask. When the oxygen mask comes down, what do you do? You put it on yourself first so that you can help the one next to you. If you have no oxygen yourself, you can't help them, can you? It's not selfish, it's sensible. So we need to know the love of God. And God's heart is to pour out his love into our hearts. We've received something of that. And he wants to give you today a fresh revelation of his love. Are you up for that? Come on, that's good. That's good. Why? So that we can overcome the obstacles we find in our lives to loving other people. Not everybody is easy to love. How many parents here have teenage kids? Ah, hallelujah. 
It's been an interesting summer. I'm not going to say too much because I'm being recorded and I love my boys. But it's been an interesting summer. And I've had to go to God to say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Testosterone! Man alive! The stuff that comes out of people's mouths when the hormones are up. Woo! What do you do, Dad? Mum? What do you do with that? Well, I've had to go to God and say, God, give me wisdom, please. I want to know what to do. I love my boys. I love my boys. But I need your help, Lord. And I came to him and I asked him to help me and he spoke to me and that's what I'm sharing with you today. We need God's help. You ever wondered how it is that when Jesus came to this earth, he could put up with us? How could, you know, he, he lived and he died, but he lived before he died, 33 years of it. If, if the attitudes of our heart were a smell, what would the stench of this world be like? Oh, how did he put up with us? He's got these disciples, James and John. Sons of thunder, they're called. And they're preaching at a Samaritan village. And the Samaritan village say, we don't want any of this stuff. So what do James and John do? They go, we want to call down the fire of heaven on this village. We want to destroy them. We want it to be like Sodom and Gomorrah. And Jesus goes, how long have I got to put up with you guys? Where are you coming from? This is not why we're here. We're here to prevent that, not to make it happen. How did he put up with the smell of us? And yet, he came and he lived and he loved. And he was like no other because he did not come to preach judgment. He came rather to preach, the kingdom has come. He came rather to say, look, there is hope for the world. There is opportunity for the world. There is grace for you and me. There is grace for all of us. He came to say, look, right now, whatever the state of the world and the history of humanity is blood-soaked, The history of the world right now, you look around the world, it is blood-soaked. We're reading the Old Testament as a church. It is blood-soaked. Because people are barking for judgment and waging war against one another. And Jesus said, no! There is a time coming when everything will be put right. But right now, for this window of time... Let me reconcile you with the Father. Let me bring you back, those of you who are far off, and reconcile you with the Father. Let me begin a work in your heart today that will put you right before God so that you can help others become right before God. We are at a particular passage in human history right now. It's a time of grace 
It's a time when God has spoken his favor over humanity, which is undeserved. But he's spoken it, and that's where we are. Thank God. How could we be in this room if it were otherwise? So Jesus came to a blood-soaked world to show what God was like. You know, there's a story of the blind men and the elephant. You've got people who can't see faced with an elephant. And for everybody, they touch something different and they describe something different because they can't quite see it. The tail, well, this is, this is a rope, isn't it? No, no, hang on, it's a tree. No, it's not a tree. It's, it's much bigger than it. It's a wall. No, it's a spear and so on. Well, Jesus came to open the eyes of the blind, to give us a new revelation of who God is, to give for us a new deal that actually the cycle of violence and revenge could end, that things could be put right by putting right the hearts of people. God himself came down in the form of Jesus. And it was totally different, totally different to what people had experienced before. And yet it took the disciples a fair old time to latch on to what was going on. They didn't understand. Philip said, Lord, you talk about the Father, just show us the Father. You can do that. Show us the Father and that will be enough for us, says Philip. And Jesus, he answered. He must have drawn breath before he answered at this point. He said, don't you know me, Philip? Even after such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. It's a Father living in me who's doing his work. And he later said, I and the Father are one. And that is why they crucified him. That is why the Pharisees, the zealots, those for whom their position was terribly important and the purity of the faith which they peddled was terribly important, they're the ones who crucified him. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how would those who saw Jesus describe him? If you can imagine that you're one of the disciples, how would you have described him? What words would you use? Wise, thank you. Yeah. Loving. Loving. Joyful understanding, compassionate, compassionate. whoa, when two are in agreement, strong, strong. Humble. humble, great combination, strong and humble. And yet at this point, Philip still couldn't quite join the dots and probably the others couldn't quite either because it's still, it's still all a bit of a mystery because the whole history of humanity has been blood-soaked. So how is it Jesus was like this? How is it that he was like the way you've described him, which is the way I'm sure the disciples would have described him? 
It's because he walked with God. It's because of the person he spent time with, his father. If you've got your Bible with you, please turn with me to Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. You could read it off the screen, but I'd rather you turn to it in your Bibles because I've got another question for you in a moment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. That is, don't rely on your own wisdom to get you through. I tell you, it won't get you to heaven. (laughs) You need more than that. In all your ways, my version says, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now, Jesus walked with the Father. We're talking about how to live like Jesus. So we can take our cue from him and learn to walk with the Father. But I want to bring you back to a really key thing within this text, which is so easy to overlook. We're doing the Freedom Course at the moment, and the Freedom Course uses this translation, submit to him. What does your Bible say? What's the word or the phrase that it uses there? In all your ways, submit to him. Has anybody got anything different? Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Thank you. Anybody else? Lean on, trust in, and be confident in. Okay, thank you. Rely on him. him. Anybody else? Never lean on your own insight. Okay. And the next phrase is, in all your ways, what? What does it say after that in yours? Have mind of him. Okay. Well, that's a a lot of versions, right? They're all saying something similar, but they're a bit different. Why is that? You ever wondered this? Let me just give you some more versions. Seek his will in all you do, New Living. Always let him lead you, contemporary English. Remember the Lord, good news. Think about him in all your ways, Holman, Christian Standard. Christian Standard Bible, in all your ways know him and he will make your path straight. Why so many translations? Listen, this is wonderful. There's a very good reason for this. And that is that the word that is used, which is translated in all of these different ways, the word that's used for submit is actually much bigger than that. It's much bigger than acknowledge. And I've preached on it before. The word is Yoda, spelled Y-A-D-A, but pronounced Yoda. And do you know what it means? It means to know him fully and to be fully known by him. It's the same word used of sexual union in the Bible. It is that intimate This is how Jesus walked with his Father in the intimacy of being fully known and fully knowing. Anything else, the word submit, the word acknowledge, the word remember, they're just a shade of the real meaning of this. It's much, much deeper than that. It's far deeper than acknowledge, it's far sweeter than submit. Let me take a slight detour for a second here. What does the word Islam mean? Thank you. It means submission. 
And if we look at the Saudi Arabian flag, which embodies all of this, across the top and the Arabic writing reads from right to left is the Islamic creed. And underneath that is a sword, and it's very deliberate because it is submission at the point of a sword. It is blood-soaked. When you see those awful videos on the news of jihadists creating atrocities, what do they keep crying? What's the phrase you keep hearing? Okay, what does that mean? Exactly. It's usually translated, God is great, because Allah is the Arabic word for God. That's the word they use. It actually means Allah is greater. That's the cry that you're hearing from the jihadists. And as far as the jihadists are concerned, the whole world has to come to acknowledge that, if needs be, at the point of a sword. Now, you need to hear me right. I've spent 25 years working on behalf of the persecuted church, and increasingly that persecution is, but not exclusively, at the hand of Islamist extremists. Now, in my time, I've traveled widely, and I've met many good, noble, God-fearing Muslims. And it's my conclusion, you might disagree with me, but that actually because they essentially fear God, I'm not talking about jihadists here, they are in many ways closer to God than our secular materialistic society which doesn't believe in him at all and doesn't want anything to do with him. These are people who want God, who are seeking him, who want to serve him. And let me be clear, they are going the wrong way about it because Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. They need Christ. They do not need us to despise them. They need us to love them and pray for them and get alongside them. And remember this, so much of your Bible is written by a terrorist by a man who murdered Christians, a zealot who wanted the true way as he saw it, Paul, whose name was Saul before God got hold of him. That's what we need to pray for for these guys. So Jesus came and showed a different way. You see, these guys are right about one thing. There is a need to come into right relationship with God. Our Bible tells us that all have sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence of that sin is separation from God. God is holy. God is a judge. Let's say something. We saw that flag. Those guys have an understanding of that. They're just going about it without any grace. And they're going in the wrong direction. How, given that God is holy, and if I can describe holiness, I'm sure this isn't the whole story. God is love, right? Love warms you through and has warmed you through. That's why you're here. 
But if you take if you take too much spice and put it in your food, too much salt and put it in your food, too much flavor and put it in your food, it just God is love. And that I believe is the essence of his holiness. Confronted face to face with white hot love, we would all be utterly undone. Not just because of what we had done wrong, but for the continuing way we do not do what is right. For the continuing way that we do not love as God loves. If Isaiah, in the presence of God, the holy prophet Isaiah, can say, I am a dead man in the presence of the living God, what would we be like? So how do we escape that confrontation between who I am and him? Because it's inevitable. It is inevitable. How do we survive that? You are a spirit in an earth suit. For your spirit to live and walk on this earth, it needs this body. Yeah? If you're going to explore the bottoms of the ocean, you need a diving suit. If you're going to go into outer space, you need a space suit. If you're going to go to heaven and stand in the presence of Almighty God, you need a Christ suit. You cannot stand on your own except in Christ. So he says, he doesn't come bringing judgment and say, you are eternally condemned. He says, come to me. Come to me, Toby. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. (laughs) Come. Don't flee. Come. 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 And because he's Christ, he goes, come into me. And because he's Christ, he is enormous. You are in the safest place you could ever be in Christ. You are held in love. You are kept in love. And you know where Christ is? He is at the He is in the Godhead with the Father. And in Christ, so are you. On your own, we've got a log burner. I love it. Just started putting it on. Yeah, Andrea loves it when she comes around for her leadership meetings. She'd have us put it on in July, mind you. And it's great. It gives a beautiful light. It gives too much heat sometimes. If I take a sheet of paper and I scrunch it up and I put it in the fire, it doesn't stay paper. It turns into fire. It can't remain paper in the presence of that heat. We cannot remain sinful flesh in the presence of our God. Which is why instead of Christ coming with a sword to bring judgment, he comes to say, come on, come to me.
let's put it right. Let's put your heart right. Let me take your sins. Let me take the stuff you did wrong. Let me take the stuff you never got around to doing that you should have. And not just then, but now, today, and tomorrow. Let me take those things. I'll pay that. I will pay that. The only person who could pay that is the creator of you. If you're in debt, I could help you out. Don't all rush. (laughs) But I... I could help you out, but I can't pay off those debts. One person could give their life for another. I could save you being pushed under a bus. But it takes the creator of you and me and us to give his life for us. (coughs) Only the creator could have done that. And why would the creator do that? Because he is love. I think that all sin is falling short of God's absolute love. I think that God's holiness is the distillation of that love. Now, I might be off on one, but it's a thought. It's a thought. I know I couldn't stand in the presence of total love without feeling astonishingly ashamed. But he says, come on, it's okay. Come on. You're with me. You're with me. He's with me, Father. Wow. Astonishing, astonishing, astonishing. Because God is love. Love came down. And I can be found in him, Philippians 3, 9, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from what I did right. Whew, man alive but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. That's the only way we can stand in his presence. He gave his life for you. He said, look, Philip, you're wondering about the Father. Look at me. Thomas, fella, come on. I did this for you. See how much I love you. See how much I love you. Walk with me. Let's walk it out in this life. Let us walk it out in this life. We can do that because I've come to you and help others to walk it out in this life. Be that signpost. Be the one that says to them, come on, it's okay. Come, 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 come. Let's start where you are. Come. God's heart is not about force, domination, and control. It's about love. Because we know we are loved, we can love in return. We yield to that astonishing love, and we yield to one another in love. It is the difference between rape and lovemaking. And that's what our God is like. He is a lover of our souls. Why is still beyond me, but he is, and we know his love. And I just want to say to you today, if you haven't encountered that love for you, who you are, where you are right now, whatever you've done, whatever you never got around to doing, 
He'll meet you where you are now because he's paid it. He's paid it. He's not saying it didn't matter. He's saying it mattered that much. And I've paid it for you because I love you. Just come to him. And he gives his life for you and says, it's not a cheap thing. What I want from you in return is your life. It's not cheap. It's profound. It's deep. It gives you the astonishing value that the creator himself gave his life for you. It doesn't diminish you. It adds immensely to you. The love of God. And it's that love and mutual respect that's between each member of the Godhead. So Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus says, 1 John 4, 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. I have a challenge with my teenagers at the moment. Who do you have a challenge with? These things pass, right? But in the meantime, in the meantime, we go through them. Who do you have a challenge with at the moment? God's going to help you today with that challenge. So I went to the Lord and said, what do I do, Father? Because this is upsetting. And I need your wisdom. And we were reading Corinthians, right? One Corinthians thirteen. And now I will show you a better way. No, I'll show you the best way. I will show you the most excellent way. I'm going to read this now, and as I read it, what the Lord did for me was as I read it, there were there were phrases and verses that just went right to me, okay? Some of them didn't, and some of them, aha, okay. Just let the Lord do that with you. It's not to make you feel bad. It's to bridge the gap that you're feeling. If you feel a shortfall, he's going to bridge it today, okay? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but I don't have love, I'm just making a terrible noise, If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries, if I have all knowledge, if I have the answers to everything, and if I'm the one, and how many of us do you know that as Jesus promised, if you have the faith to move mountains, they'll move. If I'm the one who somehow has got hold of God so much that I can say to this mountain, come and it comes, and say to it, go and it goes. If I'm that one, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I'm such a zealot that I'm willing to run towards the guns, if I'm willing to throw myself into the flames like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if I'm such a zealot that I give it all away and give it all away and give it all away, but I don't have love, and I gain nothing 
love is patient. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. Love doesn't boast. Love isn't proud. Do you know, love does not have to have the last word. Love does not have to win every argument. Love does not have to just stand up for what is right because it's right and be proved right. Why? Because it's a long game. It's much longer than having the last word. Love is not proud. Love isn't rude. Love isn't all about me. It's not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love does not keep a tick list of offences committed that have to be put right before any grace will be shown again. It doesn't do it. It chooses to forget. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. Love always, bless you, protects. And it protects others from themselves even when they are off on one. Someone's off on one to you, love them enough to protect them from themselves. Love does not withhold its trust because you let me down. Love always, always, say always, always trusts. It always hopes. It does not give up. It always perseveres, and love never fails. Oh, Lord, mine does. Yeah, but I'm not talking about your love, Andrew. Look at the word. Look at the word. The word for love, agape. All the way through, the word for love is agape. It's not Andrew Boyd's love. I can tick off some of those things and some of those things I can't. Agape is the highest form of love. It's the self-sacrificing covenant love of God for mankind. And it's the love that we show him and others in return. It's not just God's love poured out to you. It is. But because it's been poured out to you, you offer it to others. You give it back to him. Why do we love him? Because he first loved us. How can you not love the one who loves you so much? He melts your heart. And when you find others are tricky, difficult, and actually you want to say, I can't be bothered. He says, okay. Let me give you my agape love now. But you need to receive it. You need to receive it. You're not supposed to do this on your own. You don't have enough in you to do it by yourself. You never were intended to. You're intended to live like Jesus in total dependence on the Father, drawing from him, receiving from him. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Come and eat from me. Come and drink from me. You need me. The picture from the Old Testament is manna. It had to be fresh every day, otherwise it got maggots. 
You need the love of God flowing into you every day so it can flow through you every day. You need that. You're made that way. We need him. So how is this love expressed out? Well, in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've just been reading, which is actually pretty darn tough and extreme. Jesus said, you shall love, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Okay, well, that's common sense, right? Nah, but I'm saying to you, no. I'm saying to you that you need to love your enemy with the love of God, agape. Not with your love, but with the love of God. Because you can't do it with your love. You're offended, right? And wounded. You've actually got to lay that down, receive God's love to give to them. It's a, quite a process, but it's possible because God's love is infinite and available to you. I say to you, agape your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because when you do that, you're living like sons of your father. You're not living like people on a blood-soaked earth, waiting for judgment, waiting for everybody else to be put right, forgetting what you've done wrong, forgetting what you never got around to doing, which you should have done, because when this world comes under judgment, it will all come under judgment. How are you going to escape that? Come to me. Come to me. Don't come in your self-righteousness because you haven't got any. Come to me and receive my forgiveness and receive my love and receive my strength and my enabling to help you live this life on this earth because it isn't easy. But he's done it and he shows you how. He shows me how. Tertullian in the second century wrote this. What is it that marks us in the eyes of our enemies? How do they look upon us? It is our loving kindness. Only look, they say, how they love one another. Second century. Slaughter and persecution. Jesus walked in love with his father and he expressed that love out to others. Yes, he spoke harshly to some. He spoke harshly to those who'd rejected God's love, to those who were using their status and their power to abuse and control others. He did speak harshly to some because they'd placed themselves outside. I would define evil as the willful abuse of power. Others might define it differently, but that's how I would define it. But when love confronts evil, evil will be exposed and judged. All evil can do is break things, which is why it's insignificant compared with the love of God, which creates. So all evil can do, it can spoil stuff. It doesn't create. It's small. Irritating, but small. And what God wants to do with our hearts and the hearts of all of us is to bring us to a conviction of his love that draws us to him so that we are not ashamed, but forgiven and loved and restored. How do we receive that love and that grace from God? I want to show you something which is a bit bonkers, okay? But it works for me. You bear with that. This is the point at which you think, oh, who is it? What is it? Anyway, 
This is it. God's given us hands to worship him with, right? The early church raised its hands in worship. You ever wonder why we do that? Well, partly we're receiving from God. Like a funnel, I want what you've got, Lord. And partly we're blessing God. Can I suggest that when you worship the Lord, you bless him with your hands? Honour him with your hands. And can I suggest that when you need something from the Lord, that maybe instead of asking, you start receiving. How do I receive from God? I take it from heaven. Literally, I do this. I take it from heaven and I say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. My work with Release International, which works with the persecuted church, has me interviewed quite a bit on national radio. And that's not particularly easy. They're good guys by and large. But I don't want to just stand up in what I know. I want God's words to come through me as I do today when I'm speaking to you to do more than I can do. Yeah? To actually touch people's hearts and affect change. So before I'm interviewed, instead of getting anxious about it, have I got all my facts right? Is all of this straight? Do I know exactly what I'm going to say? Yeah, I do my due diligence. I do all of that. But then I say, Lord, I just receive from you the anointing that I need, the grace that I need now to be your spokesman in this place. I receive it, and I thank you for it. And for me, that simple act of just choosing to do this, for me, I can feel God's presence in my hands. So... If you think that's bonkers, fine. If you think that might be helpful, take it. (laughs) We're all different. God works with us in different ways. But just the principle is is this. Receive, don't just ask. Sometimes we're just anxious and we just keep asking. Actually, God's saying you've asked. No, just take it. So however it works for you to do that, you lie on the floor and do it if it works for you. Just learn to receive. Jesus took himself away from the crowds where the point of great need was. He did without sleep to spend time in the presence of his Father. Whatever you need to do, do it. In 1 Corinthians 14, which we're not going to look up, follows on from 13, obviously, it's about the gifts of the Spirit. And these are the power tools that God gives us. Let's never forget that the reason for God's power tools is to build things. Power is not an end in itself. God gives us gifts in order to express his love. So the first gift typically is the gift of tongues, which allows my spirit to speak directly to my Father in heaven. It's a gift, so I can turn it on and turn it off. I don't know what I just said, but my spirit's speaking. Words are labels for things we can see, and they're labels for ideas, right? I can't see God. How am I going to have the words? What words can I use? I'll run out of them in no time. And many of us get filled with the Holy Spirit and come through to the gift of tongues because in the in the depths of worship we ran out of words 
and God gives us words. So that gift is for you, to love him. The other gifts are all about loving others. Prophecy, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, they're all about love expressed out. That love is not a feeling, it's a choice. And we're in covenant relationship with God because he's in covenant relationship with us. And that puts us in covenant relationship with one another. It's not about how I feel. It's not about whether you deserve it or whether I deserve it. I don't. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. That's a choice. That's not a feeling. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. That's a choice. And forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Putting on love is a choice. God's covenant relationship with us is his unconditional love. It's that love that you saw expressed from Jesus to James and John when they want to call down fire on the Samaritan village. And he says, how long? And the answer is, as long as it takes, because I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. God's love for us is like that. And his love for others, the ones you find difficult, is the same. But you need his agape love to love them. It's available. Take it. Receive it. Live in it. Work it out. Walk it out as Jesus did. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's no wonder we love him. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And we love because he first loved us. And then the rubber hits the road. And John writes... Whoever claims to love God but hates a brother or a sister, you're in a fantasy world because you have to work it out. It's a covenant relationship. You have to work it out. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Are you anyone? You are. So he's saying it to you. This is his last will and testament. This is the thing he said before he left. He said, whatever else I've said, this one is the one that really matters. You've just got to love them, okay? You don't have to do it in your own strength because I'm here for you to love through you. Learn to take my love. Learn to put on your oxygen mask and then you can give it to the one next to you. It works that way round. 
And if that's true of your brother and sister, then it's certainly true of your son and of your daughter, of your husband or of your wife. This John who wrote this, he, legend has it, that he's the only apostle who wasn't killed. Legend has it that John, on his, in his very old age, was brought out on his bed because he couldn't walk. And what John would say to anybody who would listen is love one another. Love one another. Love one another. So for John, everything he'd gone through, everything he'd seen is distilled in that. This is the John who wanted fire and brimstone on the Samaritan village. What made the difference in his life? He spent three years walking with Jesus, who spent 33 years walking with his father. How do we live as Jesus lived? Walk with him. Walk it out. It's difficult sometimes to love. It's difficult to be wise and know what to do. Walk it out. God isn't saying to you just get on with it. He's saying, come, come, tell me about it. Let's talk. Come on, I want to hear your heart. And then let me show you the more excellent way. I'll show you the more excellent way for you. That where you're missing anything, where you're lacking anything, where your love is deficient because we are who we are. I'll show you a more excellent way and I'll make it possible for you. I will enable it for you if you receive from me. Live in my love, he says. Live in it. Let's talk about it, think about it, read about it. Live in it. Eat the manna. Jesus spent time with his father in prayer and he rested in his love. He fasted. So take time to know his love. And if you want to live like Jesus, live in it. Receive it and give it. Breathe it in. Breathe it out. Receive and give. Yorda. To be fully known and still fully loved. By the God who says, I want you to know me. It's not just that I know you. I want you to know me, to fully know me, because I know you, Philip. I know you, and I love you. Come on. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. 